Well, Happy New Year and welcome to 2022. Glad to be uh, putting up the first post of the new year. And uh, really a whole bunch of things are going to be getting back on track this week. We'll be back in our study in Revelation on Sunday mornings this week. Uh, we will also be um, back in uh, Hosea on Wednesday nights in our midweek study, which we also live stream and you can join in there. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to be back today uh, in the book of Romans. It's been about three weeks since we were in this study. And uh, while the events of the world continue to unfold around us, we'll be doing our prophecy updates. We're actually currently in a, uh, a series right now uh, about how at least I think that things will unfold uh, eschatologically. So we'll continue in that study. My plan is to next go into a more specific look at the Antichrist. Uh, I just didn't think that was a great way to start out the new year. Why not start instead with the grace of the true Christ, the grace of God uh, as, uh, as, as, as ultimately given through the finished work of Christ. So that being said, I thought let's go back into the book of Romans. And uh, last time we were in Romans, again, was about three weeks ago. We got into chapter 4, right about verse 8. And so we're going to start in verse 9 today. By the way, if you're prone to making New Year's resolutions, I'm not really one that, that does that a lot because, you know, like anyone else, they don't last very long. But if, if I were going to make a New Year's resolution, and if I can encourage you to make a New Year's resolution, it would be to get into the Word of God as a regular thing. Uh, some people love to go through, uh, um, through the Bible programs. There's lots of really good ones out there, some that are just take you from Genesis straight through to Revelation, others that set the books of the Bible in chronological order, and so you can read through the Bible that way. But the important thing, whether you utilize one of those plans, which is a great idea, but whether you do that, or whether you just pick uh, some book of the Bible and make your way through it, and then pick another book of the Bible, make your way through it, and just make your way through the whole Bible that way, however you do it, do it. Spend time in God's Word. There's nothing uh, more important than spending time in the Word of God as you get to know the God of the Word. And so it's an essential element uh, without which you cannot really know God, at least not in any deep and meaningful way. Uh, most of our ideas about what God is like outside of, if we're not using the Word as our, as our means of understanding these things, it really just becomes speculative. God becomes more like us than reading the Word of God so that through that, washing of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we might become more like Christ. So let me encourage you uh, to pick up your Bible every day, spend time in it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how much time every day or what you need to do first and all that, but just make your way through the scriptures systematically and get all the word of God into you. You'll be glad you did. And of course, it will help you grow. So, But we're going to continue in Romans chapter 4. And again, I thought uh, starting the new year, talking about the grace of God is going to be a good thing for us. So here we go, starting in verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? What blessedness? It's a good place to start. Um, Sometimes if we come to a passage that we haven't been working up to, if we just open the Bible and just start at some passage, for example, uh, or in our case, if it's been three weeks since we've been in this passage, we might sort of forget what Paul's been talking about. And it's never a good idea to take a passage of the Bible in isolation, but rather consider the context in which it is couched. And so the blessedness that Paul is referring to is not just left to our subjective wonderings and sort of just plugging in what we think he might be talking about, 
But rather, Paul has just been talking about the very thing he's referring to here in the previous verses. Uh, In our case, what we looked at last time we're in the book of Romans. So let me just read it again quickly, verses 5 through 8. And this tells us the answer to the question we're asking about this blessedness. What is it? Well, verse 5, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So what is the blessedness that Paul is referring to? Well, it's quite simply the imputing of righteousness and the not imputing of our sins. Uh, Now, the reason he points to David and quotes David from Psalm 32 is because David, while on the one hand is certainly a man after God's own heart, also was guilty of absolutely heinous, catastrophic sin in his sin with Bathsheba, uh, in his murder of her husband, and then the hypocrisy of taking in Bathsheba as if he was being all magnanimous and taking the wife of this dead soldier. Uh, It just not only did he sin, but he made himself look really, really good, massively hypocritical. Um, And so the fact that David would be the example of this is profound because it, on the one hand, tells us that no matter how bad our sin might be, there is room at the table where God can impute righteousness and not hold our sin against us, even though we might be the worst kind of sinner. That, my friends, is the epitome of grace. For um, for any um, older brother of the prodigal, pharisaical, self-righteous types that would say, well, that's just not right, I'd have to say, well, you're correct. It isn't, it isn't really right. It's not fair. But if, if we got fair, we'd be doomed to hell. So I'm thankful that God not only isn't sending me to hell, but has made a means by which I might be spared that. Uh, in other words, he's not just sort of turning a blind eye to my sin. He dealt with my sin by laying the guilt and shame and the penalty of it upon his own son. Um, that's not something I would likely ever do but that's the grace of God. Uh, I'm not generous like that. I'm not necessarily as forgiving and gracious like that. But thank you, you can thank God that I'm not God, you know, and I'm, I'll thank him that you're not God too because you're probably a lot like I am. But God is gracious and knowing our predicament, he made a way for us to be saved. <coughs> and so David becomes a great example of this because this is somebody, we know him again as a man after God's own heart because he was never idolatrous or anything, but he was among the the worst sins committed among, among anybody in scripture, but God's grace. And so that's the blessedness that David experienced uh, he spoke of that season of sin that he was in where his bones ached and his, his just he was in just grievous agony over his sin. But then he came to recognize the blessed forgiveness of God, the grace of God. And he celebrates this in, again, Psalm 32, as he talks about this. He says, blessed is the one whom God does not impute sin, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. David knew he didn't deserve that. But that was all the more reason to celebrate God's grace and goodness. Um, and so the question that Paul is asking here, and he asks a couple of you know seemingly rhetorical questions, but he goes on to answer, answer the questions himself. But the question is, does this blessedness, this blessedness of not having our sin imputed to us, this blessedness of our sins being covered and such, 
Is this just for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Well, the reference here is to the covenant people of God, Israel, who are circumcised. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant, one of the signs of the covenant. Uh, The Sabbath was one, the law itself being given uh, to the Jews as the custodians of the oracles of God, as Paul would say in Romans 3.2. These are things that are examples, signs of the covenant, the fact that they were the covenant people of God and remain, by the way, the covenant people of God. Um, But he goes on in verse 10 and says, well, how was it accounted to him? Was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Again, he answers the question himself. He says it was not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. Now again, if you know if you know the story of Abraham, you know that he was somebody who was the first of the Jewish people. He is the father of the Hebrews, of the Jewish people. And so prior to God's calling him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham was not part of any covenant people. He was not a Hebrew. He wasn't a Jew. He's the start of the whole nation. And so the point Paul is making is, is that God called Abraham, Genesis 12, and he calls him to be, uh, to, he calls him out of the earth of the Chaldees and promises to make Abraham a great nation. He promises Abraham that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. He makes a promise of a, of a homeland for the people that God is going to um, bring to be through Abraham's uh, lineage in that. And so uh, it says in, in, um, um, you know, in, in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And that's what Paul is referring to here. This righteousness was, uh, was based on Abraham's faith not based on his being part of a covenant people or based on anything that he did. And that's the huge point that Paul is making. Uh, It's important for us to recognize that, and this becomes really the crux of what he's talking about here in in this entire passage through verse 19. Really, so much of the book of Romans touches on this. But so many people harbor under the impression that they will one day stand before God and say, okay, I did it. I did a lot of good stuff for you. I I followed the law and that kind of thing. No, no, you didn't. Uh, No, you're not currently. Uh, I mean, you might occasionally get something right, but you and I are lawbreakers. Paul says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. Nobody is righteous by our deeds. And Paul has been hammering that point home to this point, and will continue to uh, variously throughout the book. But if we live under the delusion that we have somehow lived up to God's standard, we are in for the rudest of all possible awakenings uh, when we stand before him one day. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who sort of embrace this idea too. Uh, There are many who believe that somehow their righteous activities make them righteous before God. That's another delusion that is untrue and, and patently unbiblical in passages like, the, like what we've been reading in Romans 4 and throughout much of the scripture, Old and New Testament. This passage that uh, Paul is quoting from David in the Psalms is one example in the Old Testament of how um, it's always been by grace, never by our efforts, never by our works, never by our supposed uh, purported obedience to the law. God sees exactly what we're made of. He knows what dwells in the hearts of men uh, and there is wickedness there that is beyond our own finding out, Jeremiah would tell us. And so, you know, to think that that's how, it, how we arrive at a place of righteousness is completely mistaken and misguided. And Paul speaks to this in the strongest of terms throughout this letter. And so 
Here he says, look, this blessedness was accounted to Abraham by faith, not by works of the law or by being part of a covenant people. It was completely while he was still not part of a covenant people. And that's a a major emphasis here. And then he goes on and says, now, is this blessedness just for those who are of Abraham's seed? Is it just those who were born of the family of Abraham, the people of Israel, the covenant people, who, as part of their covenant, would circumcise their children on the eighth day? And this was one of the covenant signs that they would that, that they would practice in order to demonstrate that they belong to the people of God. But is that what makes them righteous? And is righteousness imputed, promised just to those who do this? And Paul says, no, it's actually for everybody. And and the the reason we know this is because it was given to Abraham before he was circumcised or before he was part of a covenant people. And so Abraham now becomes the father, not only of the circumcised, but even uh, by by virtue of their obedience to, to this covenant and everything, but also to the uncircumcised who come and receive by faith. And so there's this wonderful um, opening up of the door to those who are outside of the commonwealth of Israel, people like myself who are Gentiles, who are not Jewish at all, we get to enter into the promises based on faith, not based on works. And so um, at the end of verse 11, um, again, he's the father of all of those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, given to them, charged to their account, um, even though they're not circumcised. And he finishes off this particular passage by saying, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now, throughout the scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament, there is this, um, there is this clear teaching by virtue of the Holy Spirit that circumcision of the flesh doesn't save anybody, that nobody's righteous because they just simply outwardly are part of a covenant. As a matter of fact, if you would, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 10 makes this point. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16 in particular. Notice what, uh, what ultimately the Holy Spirit is telling us through Moses. Um, in verse 16, uh, Moses writes, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked or stubborn or rebellious no longer. Circumcise the flesh of your heart, okay? Uh, In other words, they were already a covenant people by virtue of, you know, Abraham being called out, but the covenant sign was that of circumcision. Um, But the point that's being made here is that just because you've circumcised the flesh, doesn't necessarily mean that you are right before God. You've, you've obeyed in that point, but God is actually looking for something deeper than that, a relationship that is not based on your own works, but rather by faith. Therefore, he says, circumcise the, you know, your, your heart and that kind of thing, and be stiff-necked lo- no longer. Um, another passage we might look at here is, is, uh, is uh, earlier in Romans um, uh, Oh gosh, what was it? Romans 2, here we go. Romans 2, verses 25 through 29. Notice here what Paul says, kind of in concert with that idea. Of course, Paul would have known the law very, very well, being a Pharisee. And here he sort of draws from the same idea when he says this in chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. 
But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, if you're still stiff-necked and rebellious, the fact that you're circumcised doesn't help you at all. Just like it says in Deuteronomy 10.16, don't just get circumcised, circumcise your heart and no longer be stiff-necked. In other words, I'm not just asking for some outward ritualistic obedience. I'm asking for your heart. And Paul here says that the example of someone who's circumcised but they break the law, their circumcision doesn't really count. Uh, Verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? In other words, if if you're not circumcised in the flesh, but you are in your heart, in other words, if you have really by faith believed and, and you are trusting in the promises and that kind of thing, even though you may not be part of the commonwealth of Israel, Paul is saying, doesn't that basically count as circumcision? Verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? So the one who is circumcised of heart actually sits in judgment of the one who is just circumcised in the flesh. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God. Now, of course, this was the constant back and forth with Jesus and the Pharisees. They wanted their righteous deeds to be seen before men, so they would appear righteous. But Jesus was calling them out and saying, you're not righteous, because, in fact, all you really are is self-righteous. Not God-righteous, but self-righteous. And it's because you're not interested in being righteous before God. You just want to be right before men. Well, they were pretty overt about it. But even for those who believe that they can somehow do enough good works to stand before God and be judged in their own minds based on their good works. Paul is first saying, no, that's impossible. That's what he's been saying in the book of Romans at this point. But now he even goes on to say that what really needs to happen is that there needs to be a complete change from the innermost being. Well, how does that happen? Does that happen through outward works? No, it doesn't. Does it happen because I'm circumcised? No, not necessarily. An inward righteousness, an actual imputed righteousness, has to come from God and not come as a result of our works. Again, this is one of those places among many throughout the scripture where this case is very, very strongly made. Our righteousness will never be based on what we do, whether in terms of of achieving salvation or keeping salvation, where it's impossible uh, I've, I've made the point a lot in the last uh, number of episodes that we're not sinners just because of what we do. We're sinners because of what we are. We are dead in sin. We are consumed with sin. We are sinful by nature. doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be, but we are by nature rebellious against God. There comes a point, even in somebody who seems to be very righteous outwardly, there comes a point where he still says no to God because he says, well, I'm basically good enough by my own deeds. Well, God said you're not. And if you are saying no to what God says about you, then you're being rebellious. Even if it may appear on the outside that you're being very righteous, on the inside you are still being unrighteous because that's what you are. Paul would say this about himself in his own boast, where he would talk about how he was circumcised the eighth day, uh, according to the law, uh, I mean, in, in regard to the law, blameless. In other words, he was constantly doing everything to keep the law. Didn't mean he did perfectly. He would sacrifice and offer like anyone else, but he was con- consistently conscious about the law and trying to live up to it. 
um, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, uh, you know, he was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews and, and such. In other words, he was somebody people looked up to in terms of his righteousness. And at the end of that whole description, he says, but these things I count as rubbish, whoops, as rubbish. Uh, they count for nothing. They're like trash. Isaiah would say our righteousness is like filthy rags. This is sort of Paul's way of saying that. And he counts them as nothing compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Um, to know him, to be made right by him, is completely that, being made right by him. This is why Paul would say that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You and I do not earn our salvation. We can't. We start from a position of absolutely being incapable of doing it. All that remains for us is to realize that and receive the one who is righteous on our behalf and took our sins upon himself and ultimately paid that debt for us. And so this becomes the real crux of what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. And here in this passage, he says, this is not something that is reserved just for the circumcision. This is actually for all who will come by faith. Jesus put it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him in Christ, will not perish or go to hell, be separated from God, be banished from the presence of God for all eternity separated forever, will not perish, but have eternal life. By belief, he gives eternal life in response to belief. And so this is something that goes beyond just whether or not you're circumcised. It's whether or not your heart has actually been changed. Um, Now, I will close on this thought. Uh, that does not negate the fact that God still is dealing through his people, or one day will again return to dealing through his people Israel. He has made promises to his ethnic people Israel, which we refer to as the fulfilling of the millennial promises, Christ coming to establish his kingdom in that. Uh, They have not ceased to be his chosen people, either through their rejection of Messiah or by virtue of uh, true Israel being that by faith. There is still an ethnic Israel that is scripturally still in play, just as they were before. And promises have been made specifically to them. And so these two ideas of national ethnic Israel and the promises that were made to her and the idea of spiritual Israel, those who by faith, the faith of Abraham, come and uh, and ultimately are saved, these two things are true at the same time. The group that is part of ethnic, uh, uh, you know, Hebrew, Jewish Israel um, is not saved apart from faith, but in terms of God's working and dealing and fulfilling his promises to his physical ethnic people, his faithfulness is riding on his faithfulness to fulfill those promises as he promised them. Uh, this deals not just with the people, um, but as we looked at, uh, uh, again, uh, Genesis 12, 15, 17, um, he made a promise regarding the land specifically. So there is an actual ethnic national fulfilling of promises to his chosen people. But even one day, when, as Paul would say in Romans 11, all this will be saved, they will be saved because they will look upon him whom they've pierced when he returns and they will believe as they will enter the millennium as believers in Christ. They will have come by faith and been saved there in those final, uh, in the final 
you know act of the of the play you know they ultimately come to faith so it's it's always been by, by faith it is by faith it will continue to always be by faith no one was ever justified by the works of the law as paul would say in galatians chapter 2 if if righteousness came by the law then christ died needlessly uh, righteousness is not achieved by the law it never has been it isn't and it never will be it will always be by faith um, and so this again becomes the um you know, part of the overall message, the gospel according to Paul, as the book of Romans has been uh, so often called. So here we go, our first study of 2022, looking at the grace of God, the open invitation to all who will come by faith, who believe, and uh, and praise the Lord for that. You know, if not for that, I would have had no invitation at all. So praise the Lord for this glorious news. Um, any questions, thoughts, comments on that, always feel free to leave them in the comments section. Another thing that's going to be back on track now is I'm going to be a little bit better about getting back to comments a little more uh, quickly, expeditiously. Uh, so feel free to leave your comments, questions, and such on our uh, there on our YouTube channel in the comments section. You can also email me at Calvary Chapel at Pastor Brian at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. Uh, you can go to my website, ParsonsPad.com, and you can watch these same videos. You can also reach out to me from there. So uh, again, always appreciate you watching, looking forward to this new year and all that uh, the Lord has for us in it. And so as we uh, make our way through the word and as we consider what's happening and each day grow closer and closer to that time when Jesus comes to get us, or we just get closer to see him, whether through the rapture or through passing or anything like that, uh, we know the time is coming. So be encouraged, keep your eyes up, keep your nose in the book, keep your hand on the plow, and just... Um, be about the master's business while we wait for him. Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace. We thank you that, uh, Father, in spite of our sinfulness and separation from you, you have made a way in Christ that we might be saved, set free. Uh, Father, to receive your grace and forgiveness and no longer remain on the broad road that leads to destruction, but rather to have our feet placed by your own hand on the, on the narrow way that leads to everlasting life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as believers and is constantly making us more and more like Christ. He is uh, reminding us of the things that you've said. He's guiding us into all truth. He's empowering us. He's gifting us. He is leading us. He intercedes uh, with groanings and such when we don't even know how to pray. Um, he calls to mind. Uh, he, he gives us the words to say when we find ourselves uh, standing in positions of persecution in that. Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit uh, ultimately is the seal of our guarantee. We truly have not been left orphans. And Father, we thank you that one day we will punch out, time will be up, work day will be over, and we'll go home and we'll be with you. So we look forward to the day when we see Jesus, we experience his embrace, we hear well done, good and faithful servant, we enter into the joy of our Lord, and we ultimately um, just leave this behind. Thank you, Father, for all of your precious, beautiful promises. We thank you that they're yes and amen in Christ. We thank you that we have no reason to fear that you will not fulfill that which you've promised, that you will not finish that which you've started, that you will not keep um, those who ultimately are kept for that reward in heaven that is kept for us. Uh, Father, And we thank you that the greatest of all possible rewards is to be with you. So thank you, Lord. We praise you and bless you and ask you to go before us, give us courage and strength in this year to come. And we pray that you would come quickly. Truly, Lord, Maranatha, we look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.